Chat is brought to you by Moffat Aqua Systems of Greensburg and Aqua Systems of Columbus. Welcome to the chat. This podcast is here to encourage and challenge you in your walk with Christ by inspiring women of faith. Chat means an informal conversation. And we can't wait for you to hear this episode of The Chat Podcast. Your host, Nina Evans, is a Christian marriage and family counselor, police chaplain, national speaker, author, and religion columnist for the Republic newspaper. The Chat Podcast originates from your gospel station, WYGS, a southern gospel radio station in Columbus, Indiana. If you'd like to sponsor the radio show or podcast, please contact WYGS at 812-373-9947 or WYGS.org. Welcome to the chat. Welcome, everyone, to the chat. I'm coming to you from the beautiful city of Columbus, Indiana. My name is Nida Evans, and I am the host for the chat. It airs each Saturday morning from 9 to 10 o'clock on radio station WYGS, and it can be live-streamed from its website. The chat is also available through iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. My guest today for the chat is Mary Lloyd. Mary is a former Bible Study Fellowship teaching leader, an employee of the Republic newspaper, and a real estate company here in Columbus, Indiana. We'll be right back with our chat. Welcome back to the chat. Today I'm chatting with Mary Lloyd. Mary is a former Bible Study Fellowship teaching leader, among many other things here in Columbus. So good to have you today, Mary. Thank you, Nida, for inviting me. Will you tell us about your family? Yes, I was married to Jim for almost 65 years. He died two years ago this July. We have two sons, one who lives in Columbus and is a, works on the golf course as maintenance team assistant superintendent. And my other son lives in New York. He is a private chef and goes into homes to cook. He loves to cook. So that cool. is our family. So you have a golf specialist and a chef in your family. I do, yes. Good to Everybody hear. often says when the chef comes home, does he cook for you? No, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> he likes free time. Oh, sure, sure. Will you tell us about your work? Well, both of my jobs were administrative and an administrative assistant to the publisher at the Republic. Great boss and taught me a lot. I really enjoyed working for him. And at the real estate company, I was um, at the front desk. I love meeting people, and that was part of my job, answering the phone, directing people to agents and that sort of thing. I did a lot of computer work, and I just enjoy people. And mm-hmm. that was those, those were both good spots for me. Mm-hmm. And Bible Study Fellowship? And, of course, Bible Study Fellowship. That was such a blessing in my life. How many years did you do that? I taught for 10 years, and then... I was area advisor for about seven years, meaning that we, uh, two other women went with me and we visited all the classes. We had about 20 classes, I think we visited, if I'm counting correctly, 15 perhaps. And we just went to see that everything was running smoothly and that the word was being taught. Uh, It was a wonderful experience. I learned a lot. God taught me a lot. When did you come to know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him? Will you tell us your testimony? I would love to. 
We don't get to do this very often, but I would love to tell you. I was raised in Anderson, Indiana, in a family of three girls. I had twin sisters, two years older than my, myself. They used to call us the two black ones and the gray one. I'm not sure where that gray denomination came from, <laughs> but I got it. And we grew up in a moral family home. I would not say it was a Christian home. We went to church. I remember many times walking to Sunday school first on my own before my family came. And I heard of God, of course, heard stories of Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. So I grew up and graduated high school and went to Hanover College, and that's where I met Jim. Met him three weeks after I got there. And after he graduated, two years later, we were married. We lived in Michigan for about six months and then moved to Indianapolis and lived there seven years. And then we moved to Columbus in 1962. Had a wonderful husband two great boys, you know how boys are, always into something. And it was a happy time, but I was increasingly empty, and I knew something was not right in my life. I um, didn't like me, and I needed a change, I knew. So I began searching. I, I read books probably I shouldn't have read, uh, thinking that they were, were spiritual books that would help me, but they were the wrong kind of spiritual books. And so one of my sisters, they had become Christians before that. So one of my sisters called me one day, and she said, Mary, God knows you're looking for him. She said, keep seeking him, and he will lead you to himself. So I did. Uh, I came across a book by Eugenia Price, and I read other Christian authors, but she particularly spoke to me because she talked about being saved and what joy she had in her life. And I thought, well, this is what I'm missing. So I kept pursuing and reading books, and we were going to a church then that was not biblical, basically, so I wasn't getting any feeding. And a friend of mine, who ironically was a non-Christian, said, you know, there's a Bible study in Indianapolis. You ought to go to that. Well, I never would have driven any place by myself because I, I had a lot of fear. But one cold January morning, I drove all the way up to Indianapolis on Highway 31, because there were no interstates then, to 7700 North Meridian Street, the Second Presbyterian Church. I pulled in the parking lot, which was packed, which amazed me. Went in, and they always have an introductory class for new people. The lady that was leading that class was named Marty Burns, who was a lovely lady who later became very, we became very good friends and sisters in Christ. And we all introduced ourselves and said where we were from, et cetera, that kind of thing. But as we left the room to go into the sanctuary to hear the lecture, I walked by Marty passing out the door, and she stood there and looked at me, and she said, Mary, have you ever committed your life to the Lord? I hardly had an answer. I'd never even heard that statement before. But she was so sensitive to God's leading. So I sat through the lecture and just hung on every word. They were studying Genesis. And I went home and had learned from them that day that there was a class in Bloomington, Indiana. So I called the teaching leader there, and there were four women from Columbus going. And so I was the fifth one, and we went every Wednesday. They were studying Genesis also, and it was either the second or third week of my being there. The lesson was in Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. And God just knew exactly what I needed because that lesson was so clear as Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. Isaac was not a baby. He was probably a teenager. Didn't fight back. But he said, Father, who will provide the, uh, the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will. And, of course, we know Abraham raised the knife, but God stayed his hand. But God showed me in that story 
this is what God had done for me through Jesus. But he didn't stay his hand on Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for me. So I went home that day and knelt by my bed. No one was home. Jim was at work and the boys were in school. And just gave my life to the Lord and asked him to forgive me and cleanse me. And I committed my life to him then. And I've never looked back. And I did ask him at that time. I said, give me some assurance that I belong to you. And it wasn't immediate, but within a few days or weeks, I knew God had saved me. And it was wonderful. I loved it. I don't get to tell that very often. To know that one of your sisters had such an influence on you because she had come to know the Lord and then to follow that on through with attending Bible study fellowship and how that brought (laughs) you, God used that to bring you to him. Right. It was a wonderful experience. What is your relationship with Jesus today? Well, it's daily, it's constant, it's minute by minute, it's um, waking up in the morning and thanking him for another day here on earth because we never know when he'll take us home, um, reading scripture, and I have um, kind of a pattern in the morning. I mm-hmm. may have a cup of coffee and or a cup of tea and uh, read the scriptures, and I have other mm-hmm things that I read along with it in a time of prayer. Mm-hmm. If I can't do it in the morning, and sometimes I can't, then I do it in the evening because mm-hmm. my evenings are long and alone, so that's plenty of time, mm-hmm. too. I prefer morning, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always work out. But I know God understands. Mm-hmm. So We're going to get into your devotional life and prayer life in a little bit, and I want to make sure we touch on that you know, before, right. before we... Uh, close the chat today do you have a passion when we come to know christ he most of the time will spark something within us that will have an interest in some specific job or in doing something for him that our heart is really in it has he given you a passion for anything well he did when he surprisingly with bible study fellowship i i never spoke before a group of people I mean, I had a, a real issue with fear and people accepting me. And so for him to put me in that position, because he led me there. But I have a, I just had, once I became a Christian and knew the Lord, I had such a passion for women to know because I knew there were women in Columbus that didn't know Jesus. And not all churches teach the Bible, sadly. But I just hungered to let them know. And so that still is my passion today. I don't really have the opportunity to do that much, but... I'm praying God will open doors, perhaps maybe through this program. And But it's giving the word to women so they'll know Jesus in reality, in their life, and walk with him daily. What an important passion to want to teach women the Bible and how to live for Christ. Right. So true. Yes. What's an area or two in your life where God is working on you to make you more like him? Well, probably a couple of areas. One one area that is kind of ongoing for me over the years. It's better now, but it's trust. Um, women, you know, we run a house. We um, help our husbands. We do all kinds of things. And I guess one of the over the years for me was trusting God with my children. You know, sometimes they're wayward, and but over the recent years and longer, I just have learned that God has a plan for their life. I can't make it materialize. It's God's time, and so I have to wait on him. But I trust him to do that. It's just that 
I'd like to see it before he takes me home. (laughs) See things in their lives that I know would be a blessing for them. And I think the other area, which is probably since during Jim's illness, was learning to not have an answer for everything Uh, in a small group setting or life group setting, not have to answer every question because I may know the answer, but to be silent, to let other people speak. Someone said one time, the mightiest uh, work of God is the fruit of silence. And I think that's true. And that's evidenced in the scriptures. You know, the temple was built in silence. The stones were quarried off site because God wanted that temple built in silence. So when the stones were quarried, they brought them back to the site of the temple. And so the, the temple was built quietly. And I think that is a picture of what God does in our life. If you ever see a Christian that you've known a long time and they're all of a sudden very quiet, God's doing something in their life, and they're learning. They may not know exactly what he's doing, but silence to me is, especially with my children, uh, or, or somebody I might want to help or correct, which isn't my place. So I'm learning that that's important. Don't you think that self-control goes with that? Yes, and I was going to say that too. That's the peak of the fruit of the Spirit. The peak of the, of the gifts of the Spirit is self-control, and when we have not conquered, but mastered, hopefully, the other gifts. The top gift is controlling our tongue, controlling our emotions at times, and controlling being when we speak. Fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control. Don't we all need more of it? I know I do. do. I do, too. That's why I'm working on that, or God's working on that in me. It's important. You're right. The theme song for the chat is a song called Stepping Out. In that song, we see that God wants us to trust him. He wants our faith to be completely and totally in him. When in your life, can you give us one example that God wanted you to step out of the boat and just completely go with him, trust him to do whatever it is he asked you to do? Mm-hmm. Well, that would be, of course, Bible Study Fellowship. As I mentioned, I had never, ever thought about speaking before a group of people. But when we began going to um, Bloomington, there were five of us when I started. And within two years, there were 35 of us going Mm. every week, one or two of us going to the leaders meeting also. And, of course, we kept praying that because we all loved Bible study, such a wonderful tool of God. It's a lay Bible school, actually. So we were praying that somebody would come forth to be willing to teach the class. And I remember we were coming back early on, maybe March or April, that first year when I was going, and we were talking about it on the way back to Columbus. And I said, you know, I'd love to do something like that. Now, you know, I don't know how that came out of my mouth except it had to have been God. But I said, I don't really have any training. And they said, well, we'll just pray about it. So we prayed about it for two years. And uh, another person named Marge Westbrook was the class, became the class administrator. And we both went to California and trained under Miss Johnson, who founded Bible Study Fellowship, a wonderful English woman who has this. You, if you've never read her autobiography, you should read it. So we started the class in, uh, they have a pilot before you have the full-time class, a pilot of six weeks. And the first day we ran out of lessons. There were that many women in Columbus who were so hungry. Hold that thought, Mary. We've got to take a break, but we'll be right back with the chat.
We're back with the Chad, and I'm chatting with Mary Lloyd. And Mary is uh, telling us about a time when she's had to step out of the boat of faith and trust God. Mary, will you pick up with where you were? Yes, we finished the pilot that spring, and we had sufficient interest and enough women to have a class begin in the fall. We studied Colossians during the pilot, and I'm sorry to say I can't remember what the first study we, perhaps it was the Gospel of John, which is my favorite New Testament book, and Genesis, of course, is my favorite Old Testament book. So I taught the class for 10 years. I mean, I honestly, Nida, to think that God would use me in that situation was really overwhelming. But we had a wonderful group of women who were the discussion leaders, and God just developed me over the years, even though I wasn't even realizing he was developing me. Probably one of the hardest times of my life because we had some family issues. But I learned that when we step out in faith, and really, I had no training at all previous to that. But Miss Johnson was a wonderful, wonderful support and a wonderful witness to what God can do in one's life as had done previously in so many women who uh, became teaching leaders or discussion leaders or whatever their position was. I just found God to be faithful, and my prayer life increased. And the one thing that I promised myself in the beginning was that I would not take credit for anything. When you touch the glory of God, your power goes, because God says in his word, I will give my glory to no one else. So I, I never did that. I trusted God with any encouraging compliments and said, you know, if this is the Lord's work. He needs a vessel. He needs a willing vessel that he can use and through whom he can speak. And so learning to be totally dependent upon him, asking the Holy Spirit to fill me and to uh, study the word and teach it in a way I trust uh, blessed many women and I'm pray, bless the heart of God. It was a privilege, truly a privilege, to serve in Bible Study Fellowship. And what a big, large step of faith that had to be, Mary. It was very much that, very much. Actually, I think Jim took a dim view initially. He wasn't sure I could do it. And I know one of my sisters was, had called me one day and said something to me that was rather surprising. She said, I don't think you should be doing this. And I said, well, why? She said, well, I don't think you have the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, you know, just pray for me because it was in God's hands. And I began teaching and it was the class flourished. We had 350 women at one time. So it was a blessing for me and I trust a blessing for me. And I saw many women come to Christ. That's the blessing of obedience. That's right. That's what God calls us to be, obedient. That's right. Wow. I'd like to get into your prayer life now. Do you have a designated place that you go to each day? I do. It's Jim's chair in the family room. It's now my chair. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I try to do this early in the morning. I have a monthly devotional that has a scripture reading and then a commentary, and I use that. And then I have a little book. It's about four by four that I bought at the Bible store, which is no longer here, Nelson's Bible Mart. Oh, my. I don't know how many years ago. And it's by Ann Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter. And it has scripture reading for morning and evening, and I read that every morning, and I I usually read the evening at the same time. And then I have um, 
a devotional that I'm using now by A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite Christian authors, and it's called My Daily Pursuit. And he's a deep thinker. He really challenges me, and I don't always understand everything he says, but I keep reading and reading, trusting that God will show me. But there is a scripture passage and then his commentary. And then often there is either a, a stanza from a hymn or a poem and then a short prayer at the bottom. And that's been a blessing to me. His work, the first book I read after I became a Christian was his book called The Pursuit of God. If anyone listening has not read that, you need to read that because he is so deep. It just revealed God to me in a way that I had not, obviously I, had just, I was a new Christian, but it was a wonderful book. And so his, his daily pursuit is very meaningful to me. So I do that and then have a prayer time and it's a blessing. Will you explain to us what your prayer life looks like all during the day? Let's say starting in the morning before you get out of bed, mm-hmm. all the way through the day and until you go to bed at night. What does it look like? What does your communication look like? Well, as I said in the morning, I <clears throat> try to remember to thank him for that new day and watching over me at night, watching over my children. And then as I get up and get ready for the day, you know, I don't. I have a prayer time usually every day, a specific time set aside for that quiet time. But I communicate with God all the time. I mean, what I'm driving, or and I've heard so many women say this, it's just it's a constant communication and saying, Lord, I need this, or Lord, would you show me this, or would you direct me here, or, or just praising him and singing songs in the car. I like to drive, and so I have music on and I sing. So it's not anything that is just only set aside time. Mm-hmm. It is constant communication because that's what keeps us stable and steady, I think, in him and walking as he wants us to walk. But always thanking him for the day and asking for forgiveness and asking his blessing for my children and whatever he lays on my heart. I have a long prayer list, a long prayer list for my life group and my small group and then family and extended family and friends so it's but it's a commitment you know when you spend time uh, yesterday it was really real to me I bet I was in prayer two hours and that's not to any credit to me but it's just the more we pray the closer we become to him and he becomes so real and you hate to leave that prayer time took you a long time to go through all those all those prayer requests. Well, I don't every day. I have to. I kind of have to divide them up. But, you know, there are, there are so many needs out there. Mm-hmm. Physical mm-hmm. needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. Sounds to me like in your prayer life, you just kind of go with the flow. I do. Yes. Just in and out communication because he's always with you. Absolutely. So you're either voicing it in your head or verbally out loud yes. uh, with no one else listening. Uh, all during the day. That's true. Are there any prayers you pray specifically for yourself? Well, I guess I would always pray that God would keep my focus on him. The song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, that I want to so walk with him daily that it's not necessarily a conscious effort to focus on him. It's natural, and that's what I want it to be. And I want him to be working on that silence issue that I feel is what he's talking about now to me and just that i every day i pray lord i may have plans for the day but i always pray lord you order my steps and it's uncanny how so many times i've made plans and a phone call will come in 
And I think, oh, really? And yet I look at that. Lord, you have brought this. So order my steps every day so that I'm, my time isn't wasted and that it can be fruitful for him. And that's not easy because now I'm alone and I'm home alone a lot. But he does order my steps, and that's my prayer. Mm-hmm. If God could answer only two prayers for you, what would those two prayers be? For my children's growth in the Lord and that they would serve him. And then now in our culture, I think there is so much sadness, and I pray that God would bring revival. I pray that somehow the church, which we hear today, churches are closing doors. People are leaving church. That God would so work in the church, the people of the church. You know, there there are two churches in a sense, the invisible church and the visible church. The visible church is the church building. The invisible church is the body of Christ, those who are truly born again and in his body. And those are the ones that need to be speaking out in love to those and to stand for what we believe in and not falter and not fear because we will find persecution, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our, our country today is suffering. I often pray for revival as well. And I think it's so important that we first say, Lord, I need revival. Will you, be, will you begin it in me? Exactly. And then it spread throughout. Yeah, yes, I, I agree with that. But I, I realize that revival, if, any, if America needs anything, it is revival, that the people would turn their eyes back upon Christ. Absolutely. Let's look at your devotion time. What does your devotion time consist of? What do you do during, or what do you read, or, or what's it look like? Well, I've, I've mentioned the, what, the extra books that I read, obviously the Bible, um, and then that devotional that, that Anne Graham Lotz put together, and then that Tozer's book. But I also read other books. I'm rereading The Pursuit of God. I'm rereading The Knowledge of the Holy, which also A.W. Tozer wrote. He's very deep. Someone told me one time, he was a pastor in the Chicago area for about 40 years and wrote so many books, but he, I was told or read, I'm not sure which, that he had a prodigal child, I think a daughter. And I think he was such a broken man, but beauty has come out of that in his writings, and they really challenge me, so I enjoy doing that. But also of course, reading the scripture. I'm reading Ezekiel now, which is a tough book. I try to read an an Old Testament book and then a New Testament. I finished Acts with Paul. And of course, we know Paul's life and what his, how he came to the Lord and what his life was like and all he, all the suffering he went through, but the fruit of his life, mostly written by him, the New Testament. And, um, and then of course, Ezekiel, which is a tough book, uh, I'm reading that, and I read recently Jeremiah 2, two prophets who had really difficult messages, but they were faithful to God. That's what encourages me to read the scriptures and to hear the faithfulness of the people that have gone before, the cloud of witnesses who have been through all kinds of things, not alien to us necessarily, but who walked through their life honoring God, and, um, and that's what I want. It's good to hear about others, isn't it? Yes. And how they walked with Christ and how Christ walked with them. 
And that encourages us because as human beings, we share a lot in common. We do. And so we can learn from each other and be encouraged by what we hear from one another. Mm -hmm. Do you have a life's verse? I do. Um, One of my mentors, who was the teaching leader in Bloomington, Mary Nell Scott, she said to me soon after I became a Christian and was going to leaders meeting, she said, Mary, do you have a life verse? And I said, well, no, because I was so brand new and green. She said, well, ask God to give you a life verse. So I was reading the scripture one day in Proverbs, and this is a familiar verse I know to many, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your, his ways or your ways, and he will direct your path. And that scripture just leapt off the page to me. So that has been my life verse for a long time. But another one in more recent years was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We were going through a tough time as a family. And that is, do not be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The interesting thing about those two verses, and a lot of verses, is that there's a first a command, trust in the Lord, do not be anxious. And the first two or three verses are commands, but the last verse is a promise, and he will direct your path, and you will have the peace of God. So... Yes, those are my standbys. We have to take a break. So let's do that. And when we come back, uh, we'll look at some other interesting things from the biblical accounts. We'll be right back with the chat. We're back to chat, and we are getting ready to talk about biblical accounts. Mary, do you have any favorite ones? I have a favorite one, and of course it would be Abraham and Isaac, because that story was what brought me to the Lord. It was so clear. God knew that I needed something so clear. My sisters were really smart, and I didn't necessarily get that gene as much as they did. (laughs) And so I needed God to, and he knew that I needed that. He made that so clear to me. It was a be- it's such a beautiful story. And it's a picture, of course, of God sending Jesus to the cross for me, mm-hmm. a reality that we all need to experience in order to have the peace that we need every day and also to have eternal life. So that would be my favorite. In the, in the New Testament, probably it's, um, and probably it's one of the, my favorite women, which would be Mary. Mm-hmm the mother of our Lord, and her response to the angel who came to her and told her she would be the mother of our Lord. And, you know, she was just a young woman, probably a teenager. And her response has so impressed me always because she didn't fight. She didn't scream. She didn't get up and run and say, I won't do this. She listened to the angel. And she said, well, how can this be? Because I have not been with a man. And the angel explained it to her, and her response is beautiful because she says, Be it unto me as you say, Lord. That is what I want to be like, and I'm sure you and so many women, that we want to be obedient to the Lord. Those two are special to me. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like Mary must be one of your favorite women of the Bible as well. Yes, that's right. Do you have any other favorite women? This one is a little obscure, but I love this, and there's not much said about her. It's Lydia. Mm Mm-hmm. That's in the um, New Testament, in the book of uh, Acts, I think. And Lydia is um, on by the river when Paul was in Philippi. Paul and his group had come down to the river to pray and to look for people to witness to, I'm sure. And so Lydia was there, 
worshiping God, the scripture says. But she didn't know Jesus. And so Paul, of course, gave the message to her and she responded. But she intrigues me because, number one, she's a businesswoman. And she's a seller of purple. Well, purple's my favorite color. And she, um, she had to be organized. She had to be disciplined. She had to have structure in her life. And she had to, um, she worked hard and had a family. And the other thing about Lydia is that she was hospitable because not even knowing Paul and these men, she invited them into her home for a meal. And I just, I've always been intrigued by her. I wish I knew more. But perhaps one day in heaven I'll get to meet her and ask her about her life. But she impressed me. She introduced so many other people and women. Women, right. Mm -hmm. To come to know Christ. So, you know, Mary, I, I can see a lot of you or a lot of Lydia in you in that that's your heart. Mm-hmm. You want women to come to know Christ. I do. To know the truth of God's word and truly come to know him. Yes. And so you and Lydia have a lot in common, don't you think? I think so, too. I think she, and there, there are only two or three verses, if that, about her. But, you know, you can read scripture and think beyond that into what is implied not resting scripture to make it fit what you want. That's never right. But God gives those thoughts to us, too. I just, she's always just impressed me as somebody that that um, loved the Lord when she met him. And from that point on, once she, Paul introduced her to Jesus, I'm sure her life changed and that God opened up many avenues for her to share the Lord. But she was willing. Right. That's the key, always willing. Stepping out. Yes, and we all, he calls us all to do it. We have to do it. And that's where trust comes in. I think stepping out of the boat, what we were talking about a few minutes ago, is crucial to a growing Christian's life. Absolutely. Just think, as a counselor, I think about people who, especially women, who say no immediately when you ask them to do something when really it's not you asking them it's god asking them through you you're just the instrument but when they are unwilling to trust god to say yes lord i may not do a a great job or i i'm i don't know i'm awful anxious about this are you sure lord it's Mm. me (laughs) those people are stunted their walk with christ is stunted because they're not willing to trust god to do what only God can do. And he's so mighty and powerful to do that. Exactly. I agree with you totally. It's the same thing with anyone who's willing to step out. Yes, it's, it's a fearsome thing. It can be because it's new territory. And it's like with me, with Bible Study Fellowship, I thought, Lord, I don't know how I can do this, but I want to do it. Mm-hmm. But he places that desire in our heart. So we need to respond to the desire he has put there because he knows more about what he's doing than I do and you do. It's our response that is critical. And then the rest of it, of course, he helps us along the way and and takes us along and grows us and matures us if our response is right. And it's not us that's doing it. Absolutely not. He does it through us, and he wants to do it through us, but we won't let him. So I just think sometimes I'm so saddened by people who will not trust God enough to do something different for them or just to do whatever it is God wants them to do. And so that's that's just a sadness that I have for those who say no immediately. That's true. I agree with you. Because fear usually is what 
mm-hmm. holds them back mm-hmm. or fear of how they would look or mm-hmm. but if god places something in your heart i've just seen other women i have one a dear friend who is now with the lord and she was we often would if we were out together shopping or something the people in the store would say are you sisters and we'd say, well, in the Lord we are, because we look so much alike. She had dark hair and so on. But anyway, she was so fearful of becoming a discussion leader. Actually, another one, too. And she said, I can do it. And I said, yes, you can do it. She wouldn't drive a car out of Columbus. And that person just trusted the Lord and came so far along the way. She had a beautiful witness for the Lord. He doesn't always want us to do something necessarily. What he always wants is for us to be willing That's right. to do it. To be obedient, and once we're willing, then he takes us from there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be, to experience that, whatever <laughs> avenue he may call you to be in, uh-huh. and just how to serve him. So I get excited when I see people who do say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, mm-hmm. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but you do. And since you're asking me, I am willing to do it. Yes. And I think the person that asks them to conveys a confidence in them, in you and me, when we are asked. Miss Johnson was so much like that. I remember the first lecture I gave, 150 women I'd never spoken before anybody. And so we prayed, all the leaders, we prayed that morning, as we always did. And it was a you just kind of lifted on onto another plane or something because God was doing the speaking. I mean, I was speaking, but it was God's word, and he was carrying me through it. It was um, a, a thrill, but it was a blessing more than anything else to know that God could use little old me that didn't know very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's sweet. So for us to be willing, that is a big deal. It's a big part of it. It's yeah. almost all of it, Yes, really. Yes, I agree. I agree. Have you had any mentors in your life? I know a few minutes ago you mentioned one, but tell us about the mentors in your life. Well, one was the teaching leader in Bloomington, Mary Nalskop. She was a wonderful teacher. Uh, I just watched her over the years, and we met often and prayed together. And she had a daughter who was born handicapped. Uh, she, she was in her teens by the time I knew Mary Nell. But she handled that so beautifully, her whole family. She had three daughters. She handled that so beautifully, and she taught me so much in that and how she handled um, opposition or any problem. I learned a lot from her. The other one, of course, would have been Miss Johnson, A. Rutherall Johnson, who found a Bible study fellowship, who was a missionary in China, uh, imprisoned under the communists for three years. And... Um, when she came out of prison, she went back to England, and she was invited to the States for a speaking engagement. And this is a picture of obedience. She ended up in the hospital for some small uh, issue, and five women came to her and said, would you teach us the Bible? She said, yes, I won't spoon-feed you. She said, I'll write out some questions, and we'll get together, and we'll answer our, share our answers. That was the beginning of Bible Study Fellowship. And she even said to all of us one time, we used to go for seminars, and she taught us. She was wonderful. When those five women came, she said, Lord, just five women? Lord, I've taught in a seminary. But obedience is the key because Bible Study Fellowship today is worldwide. So the fruit of her obedience, that's the key for us to remember. The fruit of our obedience is what God does. And he blesses so many when we're obedient and respond to what he asked us to do. 
Amen to that, sister. Amen. <laughs> Have you been a mentor to anyone? Well, I hope so. I remember early on as I, a young girl in high school, and I knew her through church. They asked me if I would disciple her, which I don't see a lot going on today. So we spent a whole summer every week visiting together. She came to my home, studied the Bible, and I haven't had a lot of that since that time, but I hope and pray that whatever I did through Bible Study Fellowship was mentoring people, mentoring women, because we had leaders meeting, and I had I prepared a, a message for that, and we had prayer time. And so as Mary Nell and Miss Johnson mentored me, I trust through that, I was able to mentor. And, you know, mentoring doesn't have to be a sit-down, once-a-week everything. You can speak to somebody in church and respond to whatever their need might be. That's mentoring. So we hope. We don't always know we're doing it. But God knows when he can use it, and he knows who we should be uh, speaking with so that he can make that valuable time for that person. We don't always call it mentoring. No. A lot of times we don't call it anything. We just do it. We just do it. We're just talking, as women do encouraging people encouraging people that's mentoring well i know a lot of women in columbus i know a lot of people in columbus but i have to say this mary is that you i i would call you and i know this will embarrass you but it's true but and i think the listeners who know you would say this same thing you are an icon an icon among women for teaching god's word the truth of god's word And just think of 21 years of teaching BSF and the impact that you have made. I think of all the women you have mentored through that without using the word mentoring, without even using that word. But the impact that you have made on the community of Christian women in Columbus is awesome. God has used you in mighty, mighty ways. And I'll tell you right here, he's not done with you. Well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate that. But, you know, just as I said before, when anyone would ever come up after the lecture, let's say, and say, well, that was wonderful, whatever, I always redirected their focus to the Lord because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we touch the glory, Mm -hmm. the power goes. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to live by that all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a lovely thing for you to say. I just pray that that other women's lives were enriched through the teaching of God's Word. And I know it continues today. Mm -hmm. The class is still ongoing. There's a a day class, a women's night class, and a men's class. So out of Miss Johnson's obedience Mm -hmm. and Mary Nell's and my obedience and Mm -hmm. those who follow, this is how God's work continues as long as we praise Him and give Him the credit. That's really important to me. Yes, and God wants us to be humble. Yes. He does want us to point everyone to him. He doesn't want anyone pointing to us. And though it's a compliment, but it's true. I think we each need to know if we're having an impact on others for him. We need, it's important that people tell us, but, but not to get the big head. That's the key right there. It's like the man that wrote a book on humility and then signed his name. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) That's right. That's right, Mary. Well, we need to take another break, but we'll be right back with the chat. (laughs) 
We're back with the Chad, and we're getting ready to talk about struggles. What struggles have you been through in your life? Can you tell us about one? Yes, many struggles, really. Um, But the one most recently is the illness of my husband, Jim. We were married almost 64 years. He died two years ago this July. He developed Parkinson's disease and dementia. And I took care of him at home for a while. I was still working 40 hours a week. And um, it came to the place where I, he was a big man. He was about 6'2 or 3. And I just couldn't handle him. So we had to put him in. That was a tough, tough decision because I knew he didn't want to go, as I wouldn't want to go. And he went to the rehab center. And as I mentioned to you earlier when we were talking, I was working, but he ended up being there six and a half years, almost seven. And yet I've, I've promised myself I would never complain to God that he was there and that I would go as much as I possibly could to see him. It's amazing when you go to nursing homes, the number of people who have no family coming to see them. I was there every day. The reason I did that every day was because, first of all, I loved Jim, and I hated to see him suffer. I wanted him to know that I loved him and I was faithful to him. And I was and still am. And I knew that others were watching me. Because when anybody, any Christian goes through a struggle, we know that we are a book for someone else to see. You know, they say there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and your life and my life. And most people don't read the first four. They look at your life and my life. And so I knew that, and it was rare that I would go back to work after visiting with Jim and would have a time of tearing up. I just would go into the bathroom, ladies' bathroom, and just get myself organized for work the rest of the day. But I promised God that I would be faithful to him and faithful to Jim, and I was. Many times I left so tired, but God held me up. You know, we can't look to last week or last month the things that God does in our life. We need to look at six months ago or a year or two years or ten. And you look back and know that he's faithful, faithful, faithful every step of the way. And he carried me. He held me up beautifully. I asked him if I could be with Jim when he passed. And he let me do that. It was very quiet. And I asked my Bible study group, small group, I've been together with them for about 12 or 13 years. I asked them, please, for the funeral, would they please pray that God would be glorified? That was my prayer, that I wouldn't be falling apart, crying, and not able to greet people and meet people. But I knew that there would be unsaved people there. And I wanted them to see that God can carry you through difficulty even in the loss of a loved one. There's a quote from Miss Johnson's autobiography that I had framed, and I have it hanging in my kitchen. I try to read it every morning. I didn't write it down, but the essence of her quote um, is that in life as a Christian, we, we have trials and struggles. And she equated that to an analogy like the wind that blows. We don't know where it comes from. We're not sure where it's going. But wind blows into our life, the wind of struggle. And the last statement in her quote is the idea that while the wind is blowing, it will pass. This too shall pass, the scripture says. But what we were while the wind was blowing has eternal consequences. And I knew that all along that period when I would go to see Jim, that what I was doing and how I was responding was important to God, and he carried me through it because I knew that what I would stand before him someday and I don't. I want to hear, well done, thou good, faithful servant. So it was a struggle, but it was God blessed. It. That was a tough one, but God was faithful. Exactly. 
He always is, always. During that time, is there a song that God brought to you that ministered to you or and healing and uh, just uplifted you that helped you to get through that time? Was there one? Well, actually, during that time so much was Great is Thy Faithfulness. I love that. To God be the glory. Those were, And Jim's favorite hymn was It Is Well With My Soul. And when they play that in church now, it's tough for me to listen to, mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful song. But more recently, I have found uh, this song that I love. It's called Wonderful, Merciful Savior, and it speaks of the qualities and the characteristics of the Lord, and that's why I like it. It's beautiful. Let's listen to Wonderful, Merciful Savior.
In closing, I'd like to give you a couple of minutes, Mary, to say something that God has laid on your heart that he believes that he wants to speak through you to those who are listening today that will encourage them in their walk with Christ. Is there anything? Yes, I would say I would encourage anyone listening, specifically first to Christians, that we all face down times. But I think the thing that keeps us steady is I would encourage them to study the characteristics of God, his attributes, his mercy, his grace, his unconditional love, his righteousness, all the things that he is. We can never uh, really exhaust that study. And to me, that is so important because it's what gives us security. We know that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But if you learn about his character, um, that stabilizes you because he never fails us. He never changes. So I'd encourage women to keep in the scriptures daily, to study, do a study of God's characteristics. It's not that God is grace or God is merciful. He is mercy. He is grace. He is love. It's part of his character. That will never change. It's solid. It's solid grounding for us. So I would encourage women to study his characteristics. I, I would, If anyone is listening who does not know the Lord, find somebody that does know the Lord. Don't be afraid because God will open up a, a wonderful life for you of meaning and purpose and service. That's a good message for not only those who don't know the Lord, but for us, ourselves. Exactly. You know, I've been a, a Christian a long, long time like you too, Mary. And the importance of what you just said about looking at the characteristics of who God is. Yes. It's not what he does. It's yeah. not that he permeates. He does all that. Yes. yes. But this is who God's in. Yes. Mary, will you pray with us? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be sharing together about you. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's listening that if they're struggling with anything, that they would turn to you and turn to the scriptures or find a friend to help them and encourage them. We love you, Lord, for what you've done for us on the cross. And I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, Father. Somehow they would hear the message today, not because I said it or Nida said it, but because you are working in a way that you want to reach them because you're the one who reaches down to us. Tozer calls that prevenient grace, that before we can even respond to you, you have to do something in us to awaken that desire and that need. And so I pray for that for anyone who is not saved and who doesn't know you. And I thank you for all the Christian women in Columbus and the work they're doing for you, Lord, and the privilege of serving you through Bible Study Fellowship and daily as we go through our lives, Lord. We love you for what you've done for us on the cross. We are ever grateful for that, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming to chat with me today, Mary. This has been a real privilege for me, how your life glorifies Christ. So thank you for thank coming. You. Thank you, Nida. And thank you, listeners. I've appreciated your tuning in to the chat today. I look forward to future times when we can once again sit and have a chat.